What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Mike, and welcome to episode 38 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. We've got the NBA season officially tipping off on October 18th, so it seems fitting that we bring you not one, but two straight episodes featuring the NBA. We are super excited about the NBA season coming up, and so today we're going to talk about our top 25 NBA players for this season, or at least like where they rank now. And next week, that's right, next week, you know, because we had that scheduling issue, next week we're going to talk about the teams. We're going to do our NBA tier list, as you know, has become tradition on the Mike and Dave podcast, but before we get to episode 39, because, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's focus on episode 38, you know, where we are right now. For sure. And before we get into all the NBA talk, the college football season has been spectacular so far, as it always is. College football is great. And off the top is going to be devoted to college football this week. Now, Mike, I don't know if you knew about this, but there are 21 unbeaten teams still left in the FBS. I'm going to read all of them out to you. Now, probably half of these you can just go ahead and discard, but I'm going to read all these out to you, and I want you to pick the one team that you are going to choose to remain undefeated for the rest of the season, or if you think that none of them are going to be undefeated for the rest of the season. So Coastal Carolina, Syracuse, James Madison, Kansas. Yes, that's right. Kansas is unbeaten somehow. TCU, UCLA, Florida state. Let's go. We're ranked for the first time in like a few (laughs) years until we lose to Wake Forest this weekend. I'm sure, but whatever. Next is Washington, NC State, Kentucky, USC, Minnesota, Penn State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, and then the presumed top five of Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. So definitely some surprises in there of who's still unbeaten. Kansas being the main one to me. Also Florida State being the main one to me. Um, So Mike, out of all of those teams, and I can uh, remind you of which ones uh, are unbeaten. Because I know that was a lot in a row. Don't need it. (laughs) Right, steel trap this guy. Uh, So who do you think is going to remain unbeaten and then theoretically win the national championship this year out of these 21 teams. So I'm, I'm just assuming you mean like beyond the regular season, right? So because if we're just talking regular season, there were a couple in there. We can hear those as well. I don't like it. I hope I'm wrong. Ohio State. Uh, it, it is no secret on the Mike and Dave podcast that I – have little to no faith on any given year that Michigan is going to beat Ohio State. 
and last year we did, which means we're due for an ass whooping <laughs> in Columbus. It's like that's tough. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, not to whine too much, but like Michigan had a Heisman candidate last season. Ohio State had one. Ours went to the NFL. Theirs is back, and he's their quarterback. And just go back an episode or two to whenever I was talking about, I think it was episode 36, when I was talking about Ohio State's like insane like running back situation all the time. Anyway, Ohio State's going to beat us this year. Like I have little doubt in my mind. I also think, though, that Michigan will be their only like real regular season test anyway. At least it's like where I would... Like Ohio State's gonna clean up, and there Michigan would be the team, if any, that I would guess has a chance, but not really. So Ohio State will be undefeated at the end of the regular season, but then they'll lose in the postseason. Georgia, I would be kind of surprised if they lost before any postseason games. But if I'm picking one team to stay undefeated. Even through to the end, it's Alabama. Like, sorry, no bold takes here. Like, you mean I can pick a? You can? You mean I can pick Nick Saban? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I was hoping for one that was a little bit out of left field, but when it comes to predicting who's gonna be number one, who's gonna go undefeated, Alabama is definitely a safe and obvious choice. Now, I will say, going back to your uh, Ohio State comment and saying that. Michigan will be their only real test. I will say that Penn State is on their schedule, and Penn State is one of those undefeated teams still. Now, their schedule so far has been Purdue, Ohio, Auburn, and Central Michigan. So it's admittedly not been the most difficult of starts, but Penn State also is facing Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State three consecutive weeks. And that's those are the three still undefeated teams other than Penn State in the Big Ten. So someone is going to come out of, of that unscathed and like out of those four teams. And uh, you think Ohio State is probably going to be that one. But overall, you're picking Alabama. I got to respect that choice. Makes a lot of sense. So if I had to choose... Florida State all the way, baby. Jordan Travis. <laughs> my guy. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I would probably pick Georgia again, but I mean, this that loss, not that loss, that what almost felt like a loss to a lot of Georgia fans, uh, that win against Kent State, not the most convincing, but there were a lot of games like that this past weekend. So it'll be interesting to see that number of unbeaten teams and seeing how, how you know, how that number continues to shrink over the course of the rest of the season and how many teams can stay unbeaten for as long as possible. Uh, according to Mike, it'll be Alabama. I'll go with Georgia. So we'll see what happens at the end of the season. But Oh, wait, before we move on, I have one more college football thing to say. Okay. You, you know how we like when we say something should happen and then it happens, we're like, hey, it's like we know sports or something. We love congratulating ourselves, yes. Yeah, like remember when uh, when – we spent the NFL review talking about how Matt Nagy or the midseason reviews talking about how Matt Nagy should be fired. And then he did. And we were like, huh, told you uh-huh. good riddance. T- 
to Jeff Collins. Hey, it only took till the next episode of the Mike and Dave podcast after I said he should be out of there. And he's gone. As is the athletic director. See ya. Yeah, I, I feel like they need to go back to the Paul Johnson days. Just bring back the triple option. It worked for so long. Like, I kind of missed that. But yeah, Georgia Tech has been absolutely atrocious, abysmal this season. That that move was a long time coming. And yes, shout out to you, Mike. Good job. I like to think that they were just listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. I mean, it's the straw that I, broke the camel's back. We're kind of like in the Atlanta area, right? Like, I mean, it's I not, am, but yeah, it's not inconceivable. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our college football talk to start the episode. When we come back, we're going to be ranking our top 25 NBA players from one to 25. So stick around for that. All right, we're back. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the Mike and Dave podcast, I say as if we've been on for like a decade, then you know that one thing that we'll do all the time is say something like, uh, this guy might be a, this guy's probably a top 25 player. This guy's like probably top 10, you know, in the NBA, whatever, you know, something to that effect. And then we almost invariably say, wow, you know, someday we should like actually sit down and figure that out so that there's some like backing to that when we say it. Well, guess what? We're doing that now. So it was the last time we hung out. We sat down, we, we listed out our top 25 NBA players. And this is, so this is a Mike and Dave consensus here. We've agreed upon this. It's not like top five where we're, you know, we haven't heard each other's whatever. So we're going to give you from one to 25, the best players in the NBA right now. And so to clarify, you know, when we do our tier lists, this is, those are sort of like predictions for how teams will look and how the standings will shape out at the end of that season, right? Oh, we expect this team to be competing for a Super Bowl or whatever. Well, with this, this is where they stand right now. There's no reason that we can't or won't adjust it two months from now, three months from now. If some random like player that didn't make our top 25 starts balling out and number 22 isn't, we'll adjust accordingly. You know, This is just where we, where we see things right now. For sure. And just adding on to that, Mike and I went back and forth on a lot of these players. There were a few where we felt pretty good. Like, yes, we want this player to be in this spot. But as always, as things like this go, it's up for debate. And all I'm going to say is if you get mad that one player is like one spot above a different player, then like you're looking at this wrong. I really think it's just more about are they in that kind of range that that you think that they should be in? And Mike and I kind of did a good job of going back and forth and kind of compromising and say like, okay, we feel good about this guy being in this spot. But in terms of like this player being one spot over this player, it's not, it's not that deep. So we're going to do from, we're going to start at number one, which typically we start the opposite way, but we're going to just go ahead and start at number one. The best player in the NBA Right now, it's got to be him, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, what a season he had last year. Obviously, he didn't win MVP. That went to Jokic, but still averaged 30 points, which was third in the NBA, 
11 and a half boards, six assists, over a steal and a block per game. And he was just a beast. He's one of those guys, true two-way player, makes a huge impact on the court, both offensively and defensively. And honestly, one of my favorite players to watch. He's just, he's he's one of those like unique guys that you don't really see come along. I mean, a generational talent, and he's going to be looking for that third MVP this year. I mean, one of my favorite players as well. We talked about this after he won the championship, but the player that didn't leave the team that drafted him to go join, you know, a bigger, better crew with like other superstars. The next best player on that team is, I mean, depending on who you want, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. He didn't need other like superstars to do it. He is the force on this team and he does it on both ends of the of the court at an elite level. A lot of the guys on this list, you'll see like, Oh, well it's the offense that puts him here or, you know, defense, whatever he could have been a reasonably top 10 for one of those alone. It's the fact that he has both and he does them like as a top five player on both ends. It's gotta be him for sure. And he's still in his prime. Like this is, exactly when he should be challenging for MVPs and leading the Bucks to hopefully for for him at least uh, a second title. Now, number 2, we have to go with last year's or I guess last season's I should say, Finals MVP Steph Curry. I mean, what more can you say about this guy? Best shooter of all time, one of the best point guards of all time, you have to say. He's a winner. He's won basically everything that you can win. I mean, not defensive player of the year or anything like that, but he's definitely not a, a liability on that end. Obviously one of the premier uh, faces of the NBA and he's getting a little bit older now. I will say, I mean, it's kind of kind of sneaks up on you that he's about to be in his mid thirties, but you wouldn't know it by looking at his play. I mean, he he's put himself in a really good position again, uh, especially like with Clay at the start of the season, Jordan Poole having grown so much last season. The Warriors in a really good spot, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to, to Steph. No other player demands as much attention uh, at the three-point line as him, and he changed the game, and he's still one of those, those best players. I mean, it's the game-changing part. Like, I can't think of a player in the last... Well, first of all, in the last like 30 years, but maybe ever that's changed the game the way Steph has. Um, I mean, Kareem, I guess, uh, with the dunk rules and everything. But you go to any park in America and no one's driving anymore. They all want to shoot threes from, and not just threes, but 30 footers. You know, this is what the NBA looks like now. We, we see every season a record broken for three-point attempts, whether it's the league or individual teams. Teams are shooting considerably more, like twice as many threes as they used to. No no exaggeration. And it's because of the, the explosion of Steph Curry. He has to be guarded the second he steps over half court because he will pull it. He, he very well might make it. And it's like his first year back from that like injury, he's like, pulling the crew back like um in terms of like once that team was reloaded it only took their first year back healthy together to just be like 
did y'all forget who we are? And that starts entirely with Steph Curry. Yeah, and I'll say on our tier list, it was just, it was disrespectful for for us to not put the Warriors higher than we did. But you know what? We learned our lesson. I'm sure with our tier list that'll come out on the next episode, we'll we'll, we'll reflect that respect. Now, Mike, when we were discussing this, uh, you said this player couldn't fall out of your top three, and that's LeBron James. Why did you say that? Well, first of all, I'm looking at the Lakers and ownership, uh, the front office has done him no favors with this assembling of this quote-unquote team with Anthony Davis, who plays 30-ish games a season, if he's if he feels like it, Russell Westbrook, who's a shell of himself. Um, and then a bunch of guys on minimum deals. Now I'd kind of blame Le GM for that. You know, he had an opportunity to get DeMar DeRozan and chose Westbrook instead. But honestly, if you're watching a game that has LeBron in it, when was the last time you felt like that team like didn't have a better chance of winning? He, his presence alone gives a team more than a puncher's chance. It almost makes him look like a favorite in any given game. And that's solely because he's in the game. Uh, And what's wild, he's entering like season 20. This like for all intents and for all intents and purposes, he should have been done like seven years ago being LeBron, but he's still a walking like 29, eight and eight. He can dominate in virtually any way that he seems to want to he even gets better as a shooter just for kicks and giggles he still flies through the air like like you shouldn't be able to do at that age the reality of the situation is like if i look at the stat sheet i'm gonna pick other players probably like just from a numbers standpoint but then you watch the, the game and it's like yeah i don't really want this guy over lebron like i'm i guess i'm looking at like if you put LeBron on any team in the NBA right this second, any team, that team is a finals contender. And there are other guys that are going to be right below LeBron on our list that I can't say it about. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the one thing that's starting to crop up that we really didn't see for the vast majority of his career are injuries. And that's just naturally going to happen as he gets older. I mean, he is played so many minutes when you think about how many playoff minutes and how many finals appearances he had in a row that was that's the equivalent of multiple seasons that he's played just in playoff minutes alone which is mind-boggling to think about in the first place so that is one the one caveat of sure that's true but can he stay on the on the court for 82 games i don't know if he'll be able to do that at this point but i mean a guy like Anthony Davis, who has no excuse to not be able to stay on the court, needs to be, you know, needs to be the guy so LeBron can kind of take a load off for a little bit, uh, which is weird to say, but LeBron's getting up there. Another thing that's going to be crazy about this season, he needs 1,323 points to eclipse Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer, which he will almost certainly reached this season, which is just absolutely crazy in his 20th season, like you said. So LeBron, he's already, I mean, he is this generation's GOAT. There's no doubt about that. He's still doing it even after 20 seasons. 
So it'll be very interesting to see how the Lakers go this year. They're obviously one of the most interesting teams in the NBA, but it'll it'll come down to can LeBron continue to be LeBron? And there's no reason to, to think that he can't. I mean, he just keeps on doing it. But speaking of keeping on doing it, at number four, we have back-to-back MVP, Nikola Jokic. Dude can't stop winning the award, apparently. I mean, I say it's two years. It's, I'm saying it like he's been doing it six years straight or something. But, but I mean, back-to-back is still very impressive, especially for a center in this day and age. Yeah, and and reigning at that. So, based on the award, we could have reasonably put him at one. So, maybe disrespectful, but I stand by the three guys that we have above him. But he's coming off back to back. His stats are so like similar over the past two seasons, but basically like twenty seven points, eight assists to go with double digit rebound rebounds. He actually increased his rebounds to a career high of just under 14 this season to go with those same eight assists, a steal and a half a game, a block a game, and he's scoring 27 a game. Jokic is the hub of that Denver offense. A crazy and, stat, uh, just kind of going off of what you were saying, he's the first ever to lead his team in points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, and field goal percentage. I mean, you, you talk about being the, the the hub of your team, like, that's it. That's absurd. And he's, like, I've lamented in the past Jamal Murray's injury and how I wish that hadn't happened a couple of seasons ago because I thought, you know, that Denver team could have made a championship run. And it seems like that's all that they need in order to do that. If If and when Jamal Murray comes back and plays a healthy season, if he looks like himself then you're giving this incredible offensive force in Jokic who c- controls the game like no big that we've seen in any like any times recently uh through his passing right um this is what makes Jokic so different uh there've been plenty of dominant bigs in NBA history but a very very select few have been able to make such great reads out of the post like, you take a player like like Kareem, for example. I mean, one of the goats. But when you when you inbound or sorry, when you dump the ball in down low to him, almost assuredly he's looking to score. And so the concern defensively is stopping him from scoring. But with Jokic, you never know what he's about to do because he's his basketball IQ is off the charts. Uh, he sees. He seems to see plays developing faster than anyone else can, and it's not like he can't score. Like we said, twenty-seven a game, and he can do that from inside and out. Is he's just an offensive threat all the way around? He really is, and maybe it is a little disrespectful to have him fourth after back-to-back MVPs. But I mean, can you really argue with Giannis, Steph, and LeBron? Not really. Uh, now moving on to number five. This guy is one of the more polarizing players in the NBA. It's KD. It's Kevin Durant. And after a season that was basically a lost season by the Nets standards, getting swept in the first round, uh, Durant missed a lot of time. 
with a knee injury, almost two months worth of games. And it was the second straight year that he'd missed a big chunk of the season. I mean, it's kind of similar to LeBron in, in some ways. Uh, however, when he is on the court, there's almost no one better at just getting a bucket than him. He is one of the most skilled offensive players we've ever seen, especially at his height, the way that he's able to score at all three levels, get his teammates involved when he when he wants to, when he decides to, and not be a liability on the defensive end either, even while not being the, the stockiest player in the world. But it this season's going to be a really big one for Durant. After his trade request, ended up staying with the Nets, with Kyrie, with Ben Simmons. I mean, the Lakers are, are definitely an interesting team, but I feel like the Nets are right up there with them in terms of what the heck is this season going to look like for him. But at the end of the day, like Kevin Durant, he is the leader of that team. He doesn't have Steph. He doesn't have Draymond to, to lead that team and him just go out and ball. He's got to do more than just uh, be one of the best players uh, on the court in NBA history. He's got to be able to lead a team. He's got to be able to bring guys together. Can he do that? I know here on the Mike and Dave podcast, we are not so sure, but in terms of talent, he's still up there and he's still one of one of the best in the game today. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest, if not, well, I'm sorry. He's one of the most talented, if not the most talented offensive weapons that the game has ever seen. There's no denying that he's like beyond generationally talented. In fact, I mean, he came into the NBA in 2007. That season, his rookie season, he scored like 20 some 20 point whatever points a game. That season is the only season of his career where he's failed to score at least 25 a game for the season. He's he's a walking bucket, like thir- a threat for 30 on any given night. Can it translate to winning? He has two rings, like you alluded to. On that Warriors team, which many regard as the weakest move by a superstar in NBA history. I'm certainly up there in that camp, but I'm looking at the guys above him real quick, and I'm not going to do this for every pick because that list is going to get longer, but Giannis has done it as the guy on his own team. You know, Steph Curry just did it, but in addition to having just done it, all of the rings in Golden State whether or not Steph won finals MVP, Golden State is the dyna- the dynastic force that they are solely because of Steph Curry, or primarily because of Steph Curry. How about that? He is the reason they are what they are. LeBron, we've seen him do it. Uh, when he won, when he came back to Cleveland against that Warriors team the first time, good, like goodness, what? How many times in NBA history, in NBA history, have we seen a player like? just will his team to victory like that. As for Jokic, even if Jamal Murray comes back and is the best version of himself this season, when has Kevin Durant not had a better teammate than that on his team? And Jokic is back-to-back MVP at like age 24 or 25. He has room to grow. With Kevin Durant, he's amazing. We haven't seen him facilitate success like the first three or like we could expect from Jokic if he had the same level of weapons. What if Jokic 
had a team of Westbrook and Harden or Kyrie or, you know, whatever. And it, certainly if you put Jokic with Steph, Clay, and Dre, he's winning championships too. I don't care about Durant's two rings, but I care about the offensive juggernaut that he is. Yeah, for sure. So that that's why he, he rounds up the top five, but definitely a lot of question marks surrounding him this season. Now, moving on to the guy who feels like he should have won the MVP last year, but was rightfully beaten out, in my opinion. It's Joel Embiid. When healthy, that's a big caveat, but when healthy, he's got to be right up there for the most dynamic force in the game at any given time. His ability to protect the rim, his ability to stretch the floor from the out from outside, bang down low, his energy, his passion. I mean, regardless of whether or not you think he's annoying, it's effective and it's it's perfect for Philadelphia. He he's up there. I mean, it's it really is with him and Jokic, the it's the the center revival that a lot of people have didn't think was gonna happen. Uh with the evolution of small ball in the game. Uh, with point, I mean, not too long ago, it was like basically all of the best players in the league, or most of them at least, were point guards of some effect. Now we're talking about these two centers as by far the best two players in the league last season. Uh, and Embiid, if he can stay healthy, I mean, right now he's got a, a great supporting cast and James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris. The, that Sixers team, it's got to be title or bust for him. And he he has the potential to get higher on this list if he if he's able to replicate his season last season. But the thing is, he's got to stay healthy in the playoffs. Every single year, it seems like he's fighting through some, some injury in the playoffs that's slowing him down. And he's still balling, but he's not able to, to be the full Joel Embiid that we know. And this season's a really big season for him. Can he reach that next step? Kind of like Jokic. I mean, can he, with his great supporting cast, it's healthy and ready to go. Can he lead the Sixers to a title? He certainly has the the potential to do so, but he's got to he's got to show it to us. Uh, but still, he's definitely up here as as one of the best players in the league right now. Now that you've talked him up, let me complain just a minute about him. I mean, I wasn't expecting anything else. So, you know me. Joel Embiid should be number four. Here's why he's not. Dude's got to stop taking plays off. Like, we talked about this after that Hawks-Sixers series in the playoffs. We can talk about Ben Simmons all we want. The Sixers would have won that series if possession after possession, Embiid had just said, you know what, give me the damn ball. I'm going down low. I'm going to work. Because when he does, what player in the NBA is stopping him? No one. This dude will like bash his big behind down low, body you straight off the baseline, go to go to a post fade, go to a post hook, go to a drop step. Uh, heck, he can take you off the dribble. He, but he settles for these weak elbow fades, and he's not that good at those. You're not KD. I don't. I don't know why he thinks like. Ooh, I'm I'm Kevin Garnett, the second guy. No, you're not. You don't have the midi like that. Like you can technically shoot. If he, but if he motiv- like, if he were properly motivated to do so, if he decided, you know what, 
I'm just going to go down and be a force. And he does this sometimes. This is how we know he can do it. He'll drop 40 on any given night with 15 to 20 rebounds. Do it with great consistency. I mean, we just needed a few more games from him like that. He would have been MVP last year. What put Jokic over is there's not drop-off on Jokic. You know what you're getting every night. But with Embiid, there's just that little, like, reservation. Is this going to be one of those elbow jumper games? I think that's fair. Embiid's definitely one of the more polarizing players. uh, And here's your challenge, Joel, as I'm sure you're listening to this. Show us. Show us that that you can be that dominant player every single possession, every single night, and be able to stay healthy as well. It's a lot to ask, but it's also like you've got a few spots, a few players ahead of you. If you want to be number one, like I'm sure he thinks he is, then you got to prove it to us. Now, And to clear up that I'm not hating, I wouldn't have said any of that if I didn't think that he could do it. I know that this man has that talent. Yeah. Agreed. Now, moving on to number seven, and at least for me, this was kind of the last of like the upper elite, like the top tier players. I think there's a little bit of a drop off for, you know, certain reason or or other uh, for these next players. But at number seven, it's Luka Doncic. Uh, As good as Trey Young has been for our Atlanta Hawks, and I you know, I like watching Trey play. I think it's, a, I think watching him is a blast and he really has embraced the city and all that kind of stuff. I, I really wish that we had just kept Luca. Like don't trade him away. This guy is the, in my opinion, the future of the NBA. He is, it's interesting because he is not especially athletically gifted uh i would not say that that he's in the top 50 or the top 100 physically gifted players in the nba but his skill level is right there up at the top for me the ability for him to get to his spot he's clutch he's able to distribute i mean his passing is like lebron-esque his ability to kind of bully his way just kind of slink through. He's not necessarily a, uh, like he's not going to impose his like will like physically on you. But what he's going to do is he's going to, like he gets in your mind, he plays chess and he knows exactly where he needs to be on the floor at any given time. And he has the skill to, to do that. And so while maybe physically he, he can't impose his will mentally, he can. And for a guy that young, it's just so impressive to watch. And he just continues to get better every single year. And it, it's the sky's the limit for him, honestly. And the Mavericks, I mean, they decided to not keep Jalen Brunson, who, regardless of what Mike thinks about him, had a really, really great season last year. They decided to, to bring Christian Wood into the fold. Spencer Dinwiddie is still there. I mean, it. this is not one of these same teams like we've been talking about in the past, uh, even like with the Nuggets, the Mavericks, in my opinion, aren't close. But the rising star of Luka might be enough to to lead the way to uh, 
deeper in the playoffs than they've been able to get to so far, but it really is up to him. And he, we were talking about Embiid having the potential. I know Luca does. He doesn't have as good of a, of, of a supporting cast, but I mean, as far as an offensive player, like he is a, he is a complete player um, in the NBA for sure. If you're wondering why Embiid before Luca, let me just sort of break that down real quick. Embiid can be a dominant force on offense and is a monster on defense. Um, Embiid can get the ball, score, and then stop you from scoring. Luca's not really stopping anybody. Uh, Luca's not stopping Meek from scoring, okay? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> talk, you'll talk. <laughs> but, I mean, do you know who I am? Uh, no, my point here yes, is Luca. I do know who you are, and that's exactly why I'm saying that, no, he would not stop, like, he would stop you from scoring. Uh, oh, I thought... I thought we were just going with it. No, he would not. Oh, no. No, sorry. Luca, if you're listening, 1v1 me. Let me get ball first. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I damn sure I'm not stopping you. The, the basketball court in your backyard. Home court yes. advantage. We're not going to Slovenia. No. Uh, I mean, I feel like one push from him, I'm in Slovenia. Dude, deceptively <laughs> strong. Uh, my point Fair here enough. was that Joel Embiid brings it on both ends, and I think we even mentioned this when you and I were talking about this. Of if you look at like Embiid's offense, Embiid's defense, Luca's offense, Luca's defense, the best of those four is Luca's offense, but the worst of those four is Luca's defense, and there's. The biggest the, the biggest drop off occurs not going from Luca's offense to Embiid's offense, but from Embiid's defense to Luca's offense. Uh, Embiid is just more like complete in that regard. But with that being said, Luca's offense is at such a high level that when we get down to number eight, which I'm about to say, we can't really justify putting anyone else over Luca because they're not going to give close to that same level of production that Luke is giving you, even given those defensive liability or given that defensive liability. Now at number eight, we have Kawhi Leonard who I will say not too terribly long ago had one of the more impressive uh, playoff runs that we've seen in the last like decade or so. But since then, He's dealt with some injury. We haven't seen a lot of him. And so this is going to come up a few times on this podcast where we'll say like, well, we got to put him at least here. And it's reasonable that he could like outperform this, but we need to see. And I think where we stood with Kawhi was we don't feel comfortable putting him below any of the guys that we haven't said yet. But until he comes back and, you know, shows that he's still the, like that same two-way like cyborg, right? We have like eight seems like the the most reasonable spot. After what Luke has been up to, we can't put Kawhi above him yet until he shows us that he's like that guy still. But we can't really put anyone else above him yet either. But your like quintessential like two-way wing, right? Um, he's gonna get you a stop on one end 
and then you can put the ball in his hands and it, it's not that sexy but it works it's Kawhi's tagline for you it's not that sexy but it works um it's very fitting yeah Kawhi. it's going to be very interesting to the clippers this season you know last season paul george wasn't wasn't all the way there obviously Kawhi missed the entire year now they've retooled we'll see how uh, how they rank in our tier list but yeah Kawhi has has shown that he has the ability to impact the game like few others can on both offense and defense and him and, and Paul George will be a potential dynamic duo for for LA it'll be interesting to see how he comes back after such a long layoff all right, now number nine, one of my favorite players in the NBA, and I was, it was hard to see his year last year, uh, but I think he's going to bounce back. It's Damian Lillard, another guy who you have to guard way further than anyone should realistically have to. Uh, th- this guy is kind of like Giannis in, in, in terms of staying sticking with the team that drafted him in a non-competitive market. But he hasn't been able to to reach that uh, that platform that Giannis is on with leading his team to a championship, winning MVP, all of this. I think he has the capability to. And Portland is they've got a few young players that are in, intriguing, but honestly, that they seem pretty far away. And, but in terms of talent, and that's kind of how how we're ranking this list, uh, he he's right up there for me. He was dealing with that core injury, um, not yesterday, uh, that core injury last season. And even before he he had surgery, like you could tell he was being hampered by it. But when he's at his best, there's no really no one that I would rather take that last shot than him. He's got the ice in his veins. He's clutch. Uh, he's able to, to really lead your team and be the point guard uh, that, that you would want for your franchise. So... Lillard, definitely one of my favorite players and I think deserving of a top 10 spot. But that's just for now. He's got to show that he can come back from this injury just like Kawhi and and show the world that that he's still uh, he's still Dame. I love Damian Lillard and it, it hurt to see him struggle last season. But I, I do think that that was an anomaly and we're operating on a bit of faith here, putting him at nine. If... If he comes in this season and stinks up the joint, we'll adjust accordingly. But I don't see it happening two years in a row. I, this It's got to be a bounce back season, right? Now, 10 and 11, I'm, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to talk about these two at the same time. Because when we were, I mean, like you said at the beginning, if we're kind of debating over like one spot it's not that big of a deal but i want to give everyone an insight into the conversation you and i were having when we did this list the first time and i think we got stuck here because this was you know top 10 at this point right but at 10 we have jimmy butler my favorite player and at 11 we have jason tatum so i think and and feel free to like correct me if i'm misrepresenting our conversation but I think where we ended up with this was Jason Tatum is the higher floor here where like Jimmy Butler 
is more likely to have a, a relatively pedestrian game where he looks like, oh, this is like the 30th best player in the NBA or whatever. Um, however, Jason Tatum is less likely to give you a game where you go, okay, but is that the best player in the NBA? Jimmy Butler is like more, he's more volatile, right? Um, because the reality is in that, I mean, I'm going back a couple of years, but when it was the Heat versus the Lakers in the finals, Jimmy Butler was the best player in that series. I stand by that every day of the week in a series with LeBron in it. Uh, Jimmy was giving it everything, and he's still capable of having those games. He does it every season. He goes on stretches each of the past three seasons where you look at him and go, is this the area wins MVP? Because he's doing everything. He's scoring, he's passing, he's rebounding, he's playing defense. He... He's doing it all. Jason Tatum, relatively speaking, is more of your like straight-up scorer. So in a sense, it's like a poor man's KD versus LeBron kind of debate where Jason Tatum represents your KD, your like bucket getter, but LeBron or Jimmy represents your like LeBron gonna do a lot of everything and just like give you some superhuman performance. Yeah. And so obviously it's that's a tough argument uh, where I don't think there's a clear winner. I think obviously at this point in their careers, <clears throat> Butler's more on the downturn and Jason Tatum is his star is continuing to rise. So this season, it could very well be that Tatum eclipses Jimmy Butler. And if you have Tatum over Butler right now, totally understandable. Uh, I think, Jimmy knows how to win um, and it has more of a, an effect on the rest of the team than Tatum does. And that's kind of what tipped it for me just slightly. Tatum's still learning how to be the guy. And Jimmy like is the, is that guy, uh, especially on a team like the heat where it is so much about that culture for them. And he epitomizes that really well. So it's definitely close between the two of them, but we have Butler at 10 and Tatum at 11. Now, at number 12, <clears throat> we've got another point guard. And this guy is definitely one of the most electric players in the NBA. One of the most fun to watch players. It's John Morant. Last season was a coming out party for him. I mean, highlight after highlight. This is a guy, it's must watch TV. The Grizzlies, they definitely have a lot of confidence for a bunch of young guys. But in Jaw's case, especially, it's warranted. Uh... His explosion, his ability to get to the rim and finish, whether that's uh, a reverse layup, dunking over someone. I mean, he's able to do it in both ways. And honestly, if he ever develops that three-point shot, I mean, it's it's like kind of like we've talked about like Giannis, but <laughs> obviously it's a little bit different. But realistically, if either of those two guys ever developed a consistent three-point shot, that's a, like... Jaw's obviously better than, than Giannis right now, but if Jaw could get that up more towards that 37, 38% mark, he would be absolutely unguardable. You can't go under on screens on him. Then how are you supposed to guard him? He's so lightning quick. So this guy, this guy is really the limit for this kid. He's, he's extremely talented. He's obviously got all the confidence in the world. He he knows that he has the potential to be one of the best players in the league, and he, I mean, we're ranking him at uh, 
at number 12. So he's basically already there, but he's got a lot, a lot of ways to go. And I think the only question mark for me is his defense. Um, he, he shoulders a lot of the load for the Grizzlies on offense. So it makes some sense, but he is definitely a liability on that end. And he, he gambles a little bit too much for steals. And, and also I think to take that next step, he needs to be kind of like Steph to where Steph is not going to win you games on defense, but he's also going to put in the effort and, um, and be, be respectable on, on that side. So that's what Jaw's got to do in my mind to, to crack the top 10. In my mind, I mean, first of all, you mentioned his three-point shooting. Yeah, he could he could improve, but it's not like he's Westbrook, right? Uh, he's I mean, he shot thirty-four and a half percent this season. Could be better, and we hope it will be. But he was hitting plenty of important threes this season. So we're we're not just to be clear, we're not saying he can't shoot. It's just imagine if he gets better. Wow, where I want to see improvement is at the free throw line where he shot like 77% as the point guard. And this is especially uh, concerning given that he loves to drive, right? Naturally, that's going to put him at the line more. And you've got to knock him down. Give me at least 84%. Uh, really capitalize. I, that's really specific. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man. 84%. 84 sounds that's, good. That's my challenge. Yeah. That's my challenge. Roddy White. That's my challenge for for Jaw this season. Give me 84% of the free throw line. Show me that when you draw that contact, when you initiate that contact driving into the lane and end up on the free throw line, that you can really make teams pay. If you're, if you're scoring 27 a game on 76% free throw shooting and 34.5% from three, like the blueprint's there for you to be dropping 30 a game, right? Like that seems fair enough that they go up three points a game just on those improved averages i know that stats don't work that way right but like in theory it it it's kind of there at 13 i'm gonna let you say more about this guy because you are more of a believer in him than i am it's paul george i like paul george well enough two-way wing not at the level of like a Kawhi on the same team or as a jimmy butler I just I need to see it translate to like winning like uh to like winning quality games and and getting further on. I know the skill is there, but I need to be further convinced. Yeah, I mean, so do I. In a way, I think that he is a very good two-way player. The combination of of him and Kawhi this season, theoretically we're going to see both of them healthy and that's going to be a very dangerous combination for the rest of the league. He he had some in, uh, some issues with injury last season. Then he missed the play-in game due to COVID, which was unfortunate. But he he was trying his best to carry the Clippers without Kawhi. But also, like the Clippers aren't weren't a team, and Paul George isn't the guy to like carry his team to the finals or anything. I'm not saying that. In terms of your second option, though, there are few better in in the league than than having Paul George and having less defensive attention on him because Kawhi is playing. I think that should lead to some, uh, some better stats for him this season. I will say that's a pretty good like barometer for where we're at on the tier list. If you look at one through 12, these are the guys that could reasonably like drag their team, perhaps kicking and screaming to a championship. 
it's within the realm of possibility. I think from 13 down, we're looking at like either the best player on your team that can be putting up mad numbers and giving you like moderate success or a, a hell of a number two for sure for a championship. Yeah. And this next guy, the, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be a very interesting team. <laughs> it's like the Nets, the Lakers and the Timberwolves, honestly. Um, and the Timberwolves are going to have a, they have a lot of good players now. It's very interesting. Uh, it's, but I guess I haven't really said who it is yet. It's Carl Anthony Towns is who we put at number 14. Having Gobert there is going to be unbelievable for Towns in terms of being being able to focus on offense. Having him play mostly the four is kind of weird. I don't know exactly how that's going to go. But in terms of offensive big men, he's definitely up there right under Jokic and Embiid for guys who can really affect the game and take over the game at that position. For the most part, though, it it almost seems to me like without that defensive element, he's never really going to be a top 10 player. Uh, I don't know how well he can do in terms of playing the four and being able to defend power forwards, especially if teams go small ball, but he can definitely stretch the floor at that position. Um, and having Gobert there to, uh, to kind of shore up the defense, him be the main guy on offense along with Anthony Edwards, the Timberwolves have a, a good recipe for, for success going right now. Yeah. I think that, you know, having Gobert there is going to do a lot for towns, but up until this point in his career, I mean, towns is just, been putting up big numbers and not really having success uh your typical like empty calorie stat type of player it seems uh not really capable of leading the team all the way there and coming up we've got two players that i have criticized for just that first we've got kyrie irving now kyrie irving is incredible at basketball uh Here's the issue. When have we seen him lead a team to like the promised land? Now, pause. He's the reason, or a big part of it, that LeBron has that win in Cleveland. One of the greatest shots in NBA Finals history. He's, he's clutch. But he left Cleveland because he wanted to be the guy. And that didn't work in Boston. And it's not working in Brooklyn. Uh, and it didn't work in Cleveland until LeBron came back. And, I mean, part of that right now is when does Kyrie actually want to play? Yeah, With with him, it's not even about, like, physical limitations. It's about, like, mental or, you know, whatever. Whatever, whatever word you I, want to call it. I, yeah. I don't – yeah, like, just – I truly, I don't know. Uh, just the the scope of Kyrie's infinite genius is beyond us all. But he's amazing at dribbling, at finishing below the basket because he's not doing it above the basket or above the rim. Uh, shooting the defense, eh, but uh, at like when it comes at looking at what he does, he does it at an incredibly high level, but 
this is one of those players that we're getting at that, you know, for as incredible as he is, it hasn't exactly translated to winning like as the guy. And now he's with KD and it still didn't translate to winning. I mean, he didn't play, but yeah, this has got to be the hardest ranking for me out of any of our top 25 because on talent alone, he's inching towards the top 10 but you factor in everything else. I think 15 might actually be like being kind to him. It really just depends. Maybe this season he plays 75 games or whatever is, is amazing. Helps lead the nets to top two, top three seed in the East uh, shows that he's really committed all that. But at this point we can't really trust that he's going to do so. So like we said, this is a very fluid ranking right now. It seems like he's going to play for Brooklyn to start the season. This could very easily, like he could drop out of the top 25 real quick if he doesn't actually show up to work. But that's enough about Kyrie. <laughs> Moving on to another guy that Mike isn't a, a big fan of, but has to respect his game. It's Devin Booker. Booker's continued to... uh to be better and better and, and grow his game every year in the league. It's, it's crazy. He's, he's still so young, but he's been in the league for quite a long period of time now. And I know that Mike has said plenty of times, and I've mostly agreed that De we don't think Devin Booker can be the number one player on a championship winning team. I, I'm going to go out on a very strong and sturdy limb and say that, Mike, you still believe that. Uh, I'll go out on a not quite a sturdy limb, but still, like, I'm not too worried that I will also stand behind that. But what I will say is that he has definitely proven that he is one of the top bucket getters in the league. He has improved on defense. There's no question about that. And I think being a part of a winning team has awoken something in him to where it's not just about the stats anymore. Uh, but he's he's still got a lot of growing up to do, in, in my opinion, before he can be the guy. We're starting to get into like kind of non-falsifiable territory here, but like I'm looking at Devin Booker, and we knew he was a bucket getter before Chris Paul went there. But before Chris Paul went there, Dude wasn't sniffing 500, okay? Like, he's, he does not, he was not affecting winning. And now he's on a great team with a phenomenal leader in Chris Paul. And right now, we don't know what he'll look like without that leader. Can he be that leader? Does he have it in him? I don't know. Because he's, like, the issue is he is way better now than he was three years ago. Like, I can't deny that. Of course he is. I, but I don't know, like, if Chris Paul retires right this second, I don't know how many wins, I I guess, for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I, I if I'm being brutally honest, I'd probably guess, like, 36, 37, 38. I don't trust Devin Booker as a leader. I don't trust him as, like, a winner. I trust him as a bucket. <laughs> but yeah. that talent does put him at 16 for me. I can't, even I can't hate past that yeah i mean i feel like under 40 wins is like under 500 is pretty harsh <laughs> uh 
But yeah, I, Chris Paul, even if he's not quite the same player that he was, the what he means to that organization and the rest of the players uh, is a lot. So number 17, we couldn't put him any lower than this. It's our guy, Atlanta Hawk, ATL baby. It's Trey Young. What an offensive player this guy has shown himself to be in the league. I mean, the combination of his floater, his playmaking, his deep three-point range makes him one of the better offensive players in the league, especially offensive point guards in the league. The question's always going to be about his defense. The Hawks have to make up for his defensive liabilities and that offsets how good of an offensive player he is. It's just natural. And the thing is with Trey, some of it is his effort. A lot of it is just his his body, like his natural uh, build. He's just kind of scrawny. And that really limits him in terms of who he can guard effectively. So that's always going to be a problem for him, which again... That's why I would I would prefer Luca. However, Trey is definitely not a bad second option um, to Luca, and he's he's shown that he has the capability of being one of the better uh, players in the East. I mean, last year he led the league in points and assists. I mean, you can't do too much better as a point guard than that. Uh, He's got to take the next step as a leader, though, for the, for this team. The the Hawks definitely took a major step back from the previous season. And it really comes down to Trey. He's the franchise guy. Can he continue to improve, especially that defensive effort? Because, sure, like, he's not going to get huge. He's not going to be able to grow, you know, two, three inches, whatever. Uh, but can he affect the game more uh, on the defensive end and with a guy in DeJounte Murray, who's a, a new addition to that Hawks team. How can he play alongside him? Can he be like Steph and be an off ball threat? He's, he's garnered uh, comparisons to, to Steph ever since he kind of rose to fame at Oklahoma. But as I've been saying a few times in this podcast, honestly, Steph's defensive effort, his ability to be an off ball threat. Like he's not just one dimensional. He's able to affect the game in a lot of different ways. Trey has got to show that he's, that he can also do those things uh, where DeJounte can handle the ball. And as good of a shooter as Trey is, I think that this is a really great opportunity for him to be more efficient, to be able to affect the game more. And hopefully keep his legs fresh for defense if he's not touching the ball every single possession and the only way the Hawks can score the the basketball, which has been the case for the past few seasons. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, obviously I love the addition of DeJounte Murray for his defense, but taking some of the playmaking load off of Trey's shoulders, like in theory should help Trey's defense as well. Now let's not forget the Hawks, just like two years ago, were flirting with going to the championship. I mean, both teams, Hawks and Bucks, had some injuries there. But I still stand by whatever team won that series was going to beat the Suns. I 
I think a Hawks, a healthy Hawks team would have beat uh, the Suns, maybe not in the same fashion that the Bucks did. I mean, seeing phenomenal performances over and over again from Giannis, but uh, we were giving it to the Bucks in different games. We certainly gave it to the Sixers, and this is, I mean, yeah, Luca is insane. Trey's pretty damn good, you know, <laughs> like. We're talking about 17, um, and it's, and this is still a young guy, right? No pun intended. Uh, it's still a young guy. Uh, and it's harder in certain ways to affect the game as much as he does, be, like given his size. And I think the way he does does speak more to his skill. And, uh, you know, definitely interested to see, like, how that pairing goes with DeJounte Murray, but I think it's going to go well. But at, Number 18, we have DeMar DeRozan, who was getting MVP looks for a little bit last year. Uh, a bit of an old school player in the sense that like he favors the mid-range more than most of your like typical wing scorers. Capable of uh of being like of facilitating, uh ball dominant. But this is your like go-to scorer. Need a bucket, he'll get it. Uh, we saw it was like back-to-back games last season where he hit like uh, buzzer beater threes for the win. Uh, his three-point shot has been improving. He still holds that athleticism. I mean, he's not as bouncy as he was when he was 24, but who is? Uh, I certainly am not. <laughs> neither am I. My back pains have been well documented on this podcast they have but yeah remember we talked about before like i wouldn't go parachuting or whatever or skydiving and i also wouldn't jump off the like my porch or whatever oh yeah okay i remember that Uh, i think we've had a couple other jeers about it but whatever uh derozan while not as bouncy as he was at 24 it's still pretty dang bouncy. Uh and he this is like your three level scorer. I mean, do we still want him to improve just a little bit more as a three point shooter? Yeah, but he's knocking him down uh a little bit, you know? Um but when he gets you in that uh back to the basket from mid range, like who really has a better uh mid range mid range fade than DeRozan right now? Not really many players. Uh this guy could go off for 30 any given night. Uh, but here we are, you know, d- does that translate to winning? Not always. The Bulls collapsed. Uh, I don't know that this is actually, I'm fairly convinced this is not a guy that's going to be your, your championship guy. Right. Uh, and it's, it's tough. He would do great with like, an opportunity where he's the second best player. But what did we see with Toronto? I mean, I, I know this is going back a few years, but, oh, let's keep trying with DeRozan as the guy. And, you know, this the literal first season that they asked someone else to, and it was Kawhi, that team won a championship. I I know that's very, like, reductive of what happened, but I we've, we essentially saw a better player come in like step up and you know show what it means to be the number one guy and DeRozan for as great as he is I think he's at number 18 because he's not gonna be that guy 
But he's going to look really, really nice in the regular season. Yeah, and he, he'll still be effective in the postseason, too. I will say postseason plays a lot different than regular season. Spacing is even more important. But, yeah, I, I got to give DeRozan credit. After being shipped out of Toronto, toiling away in San Antonio, which, to be fair, that really gave him a, a chance to be more of a, of a facilitator. And now he was able he's able to kind of utilize those skills a little bit more with Chicago. And especially with this news that Lonzo might miss the whole season, he's going to have to be able to flex those muscles a little bit more too. Now, moving on to number 19, Bradley Beal. I mean, can can you say empty calories? Like, this guy is definitely one of the guys who gets uh, forgotten about. And that's because the Wizards are always... <laughs> Always pretty bad. Um, I mean, I. it's been a while since the Wizards were really in any sort of place to contend. Or even like be a, a team that someone would, would pick to get out of the first round of the playoffs. We'll see how they are this year with Porzingis. I mean, Beal and Porzingis, that's got to be one of the more in, intriguing, not because it's like the best, but because it's just interesting intriguing duos in the NBA. Uh, Obviously a a tremendous offensive player, Bradley Beal is. I mean, the amount of points that he scores. And I will say, yeah, he he takes a lot of shots and he's definitely one of those more volume scorer type of guys, but he can get it done at all three levels. Like I said, he, he gets forgotten about because he's on the Wizards and he's the only, fun fact, he's the only, uh, player in the NBA with a full no trade clause with that extension he signed. So he's in Washington DC long-term and he's certainly got to be hoping that the wizards get him some help. I mean, the wizards haven't won 40 games since 2017, 2018. Uh, yeah. Like we know two things going into this season. Beal is going to drop 30 most nights the wizards will win if he does or well no pause the the wizards will lose if he doesn't (laughs) and if he does then they might win but otherwise no chance the issue is you can't just ask him to score 30 every single night and still not back him up still not give him like solid help he's this is just what's going to happen. He's going to drop mad points and then lose. Like the team is trash. Beal's not trash, but he's not making his teammates better. He's just out there scoring. Yeah. Anthony Davis is at number 20. Talent alone, he should probably be higher, but you know we love saying Anthony day to day this on here because it's hilarious. Uh, I don't know if you saw this at NBA media day, but he said that this is going to be a chip on his shoulder season, which is just hilarious. <laughs> what What's more hilarious is I saw a comment on Instagram from that like post or whatever, where it said he had a chip on his shoulder. And the comment was like, Anthony Davis expected to miss four to six weeks with a chip on his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) 
another injury. Uh, as we've alluded to previously in the podcast and also just in general, uh, Anthony Davis is a guy who went on the top of his game, really good two-way player, dominant offensively in the post. He can stretch the floor. He is a very, very talented offensive big man. And then also, he he can grab a lot of rebounds for you. He's a very good rim protector. He can move pretty well for a big guy for the most part. But how much have we actually seen of him in the past few years? Like, not a lot, as, especially as soon as he got to the Lakers. I mean, it's just been, he's missing due to this injury and that injury and what have you. Talent-wise, he's up there. Availability wise, one of the most or one of the least reliable players in the NBA uh, in terms of being able to be on the court any given night. If he is on the court, you have a good chance, at least until the second quarter where he pulls something and leaves early uh, and then he's day to day moving forward and then he misses two weeks and then that the two weeks turn into four weeks, et cetera, et cetera. So. Davis has a chance to prove us wrong, but until we see more, he just sneaks into the top 20. The best ability is availability. And in the past four seasons, he's played 60 plus games once. In the past two seasons, he's missed over half the season both times. So, yeah, not very available. But like you said, talent is there. Twenty At 21... This one, this one's interesting. I feel like this one's very different from the players we've named so far. At 21, we have Rudy Gobert. <clears throat> now, the thing about Rudy Gobert is that on offense, uh, trash is a little harsh. But I mean, o- offensive this, rebounding is a part of offense, and he's really good at that. That's, that's, he can also throw true. down lobs. So that's something. I also know that he doesn't have a post shot that he can commit to memory. Uh, I I know that... I mean, Dave, you're not the tallest guy in the world. Whoa, and con- bro. And I'm not convinced that Rudy Gobert can score a hook shot over you. Like, It's like he's never practiced it in his life. Um, Now, what Gobert does bring you is fantastic defense at least down low for the regular season right this is a <laughs> i mean let's call it what it is you got exposed in the playoffs. i mean you ain't wrong go bear don't travel but but this is the premier rim protector in the nba uh i think this has potential to work in minnesota because you're not asking Towns to be that guy, how this works like in the playoffs, like like you said, spacing, more important. And Gobert gives you none of that on either side, pretty much. But for what he gives you in the regular season, like ultra dependable, put him down low, you know what you're getting. You're getting one of the league leaders in rebounds and blocks every single season. Um, you're getting like the centerpiece of your defense, you're getting a reliable screener and then lob threat slash offensive rebounding force. He is what he is. It certainly doesn't translate to success. I mean, 
Utah just had to blow it up because that and Mitchell wasn't working. We'll see how it works in Minnesota. But he is what he is. Yeah, and that's a really good player. Almost a top 20 player in our book. This whole Timberwolves experiment, once we get a, a little bit more of a, of a taste of exactly how this is all going to look, maybe we'll we'll update this higher or lower. I mean, probably not higher. Uh, either, <laughs> this is probably like the peak of where he's going to be. Um, if you can't tell, by the way, we love defense on the, on this podcast. We are big proponents of the game. There are just as many defensive possessions as there are offensive possessions. So even though the ability to score a point is probably a little bit more desirable than the ability to stop someone from scoring a point. It's, it's very close. Like you want somebody who can do both. And that's why we really prioritize the two way players. Uh, so maybe Gobert like, isn't the most dynamic offensive player in the world. It's not, maybe he, he isn't, but what he brings you on defense. I mean, multiple time defensive player of the year. And like you said, amazing rebounder, amazing screener. Like he does a lot of the little things well, which are all really important in terms of, uh, you know, helping out the rest of your teammates as well. So number 22. So bringing out the last four guys here, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason's Jason Tatum's teammate on the Celtics and a guy who has continued to to get better every single season, a guy that I know Mike, you are a big fan of. Um, And really it's going to come down to can Tatum and Brown take the Celtics over the edge. Obviously they were very close last year um, and kind of made that next step up with the whole Ime Udoka situation. That's a topic for another time, but they're really going to have to step up. And we've talked about the Celtics locker room and organization issues for a long time, uh, where that's been chemistry issues or front office or coaches making terrible decisions. Uh, it's really going to be about the players and the best, the best players on these team on, on this team, AKA Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown of taking that leadership position with their coach, not being there. And Jalen Brown is a guy who has shown like he's very um, into activism into civil rights. Like he's not afraid to let his voice be heard outside of the court, like off the court issues. Let's, let's see more on the court, Jalen. Like let's, let's expand that to being able to lead your team. Cause on the, on the court in terms of his, his talent, he's great. Offensively, defensively, again, we keep, we keep talking about it. A two-way wing who's very good on both sides of the ball and continues to improve. Those are invaluable in today's NBA. But in terms of that leadership, he needs to, to, to take a step up in that role in my mind. Um, I don't know if Tatum has that in him. I see a, a little bit more potential in Jalen Brown to be kind of that, that leader. Um, or maybe Tatum's like the centerpiece, but Brown is kind of that that other guy who takes on more of a of a leadership role. So I want to, I'm looking for that from Jalen this season, but just on talent alone, he's obviously like a, a really talented guy, um, both ways. Like you said, we value two way players here, a, a great two way wing. Now the thing about Jalen Brown is that in pretty much every statistical category from this season or from last season 
to this past season, he took a step back. Now, most of those steps weren't big ones. I mean, looking at like, oh, 0.4-ish less, you know, whatever, assists or, you know, half a rebound less a game. But across the board, we see that trend across his, uh, his stat line. Now, the end product of that is still a really good stat line from a good two-way player. And where I would like to see the most improvement, in addition to leadership, is facilitating. I mean, part of what we, you know, saw being discussed as it related to Boston was, you know, can they win without really having a point guard? And, I mean, that talk was centered around Marcus Smart starting at point guard. But what I would love to see is Jalen Brown take the, uh, take that a little bit of the responsibility there and average more than like three, three and a half assists. What if he can get up to five, five and a half assists? Um, we know that Jason Tatum is that guy when it comes to scoring and like talk about a way to be a leader. If you have the ball in your hands more and part of your responsibility is feeding that elite scorer. Now you're a leader with the ball in your hands. You're a leader in the locker room. Like, I think the two could go hand in hand. And if we see Jalen Brown take that next level, that's terrifying, especially if you don't like the Celtics. But I think even at where he is now, like 22 seems fair. Now, at 23, let's talk about Clay Thompson, man. Uh, there aren't many more surefire three-point shooters in the NBA than Clay Thompson. I mean, one of them is on the same team. And Clay is your, like, 3 and D player. He's a Hall of Famer at that, like, at that role. And while, you know, through age, uh, injury, etc., Clay's, let's say, versatility might be going down just a touch in the sense that, like, he's not really going to take you off the dribble as much. Uh, he's not really going to um, score from the triple threat as much. Um, he's automatic when he catches the ball, and you are going to struggle to score against him. Uh, he still makes the right cuts. He still makes the right reads. Uh, the basketball IQ is there. I think the upside is there for Jalen Brown. I mean, it just makes sense, right? They're their ages are on opposite trajectories, but the upside is there for Jalen Brown and Clay Thompson is on the downward uh, trend for his career. But what we have with Clay Thompson right now is like just a model of consistency. We know what it's going to be, and it's going to be incredibly efficient on both ends of the, of the floor. To get the measure of how great of a player Clay is, you only have to look at the Warriors' last three seasons. Clay tears his ACL in 2019, and then obviously the 2020 season was lost. And then he uh, he tears his Achilles before he can get back on the court. Is out for another year. The Warriors in that time, uh, they made it to like the play-in, all that stuff. But realistically, it was nowhere near the same level at all that we had come to expect from the Warriors and Steph and Draymond were pretty much still playing. And th those two guys were still there. What happens when clay comes back, they win the championship and sure Steph is in a league of his own compared to, to clay and Draymond to a certain degree, but 
it just shows how important Clay's presence is to that team. And also, in terms of developing these younger players, I think Steph gets a lot of credit and Draymond, but let's not forget, like, Clay is one of the best shooters of all time as well. I'd like to think that he's had a good effect on Jordan Poole, on uh, Moses Moody, on all these like young guys that the Warriors have that are all very effective and, and doing really well. I think Clay is a part of that too. So yeah, I, I think I think Clay is deserving of a top 25 spot. He's not quite the level that he was before, which is only going to be natural when you're above the age of 30 and you tear an ACL and an Achilles in back-to-back years. But his return was a triumphant one. And I think this season getting you know a fresh start and he's going to be very eager to show people that like what he can do and that he really is back. So number 24, it's James Harden. Now in previous seasons, Harden probably would have been closer to 10 than to 25, but he's had a rough go of it in the last couple of years. Uh, Brooklyn was a failed experiment for sure with the Sixers last year. He he's actually better than what I what I thought he was. Like his stats are actually better than I thought, but still not close to being the same kind of guy he was in Houston. But now he's reunited with Daryl Morey. Those two just can't get enough of each other. Um and apparently he's in much better shape and you know for what it's worth he took less money so that the Sixers could uh, use that money elsewhere to sign other players and stuff. So it seems like Harden's doing all the right things, but all I'm saying is all it takes is one strip club visit and he's back to, to where he was before, you know, it's a slippery slope. So I don't know if, if if he has the, the discipline to keep going, but obviously if we're talking about just talent wise, he's right up there. Um, in terms of the most talented offensive players in the league. We did see some some downturns in his performance. Um, defensively, he's never been great, but offensively, you could tell like his conditioning was affecting his speed, his ability to get to the rim, uh, all of that. But this season, he has a chance to, to vault himself back up into like that top 15 range if he does really well. And the combination of, of him and Embiid, if they can both stay healthy, and perform to their potential is pretty scary, especially for the rest of the East. Yeah, and just the way James Harden plays, I feel like this could take a huge swing in either direction. Uh, he could come in and severely underperform, uh, whether that's due to lack of fitness, uh, lack of uh, lack of effort. Uh, or just a lack of like shooting success. Any of these, like we've seen before, uh, he could play right out of the top 25 for us, or all that could go right. He could be balling. He could be hitting these shots, uh, playing an incredible pick and roll game with Embiid and catapult himself into the top 15. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but the potential is there for him. Now, at 25, this is similar to 23, where we have an older player, even older than Clay Thompson, who, for the most part, we really know what we're, we're going to get. 
it's just a matter of like how high can that ceiling be at this point in the in his career but we're looking at Chris Paul and I mean we talked about him earlier when we were talking about Devin Booker uh in terms of Chris Paul's leadership and how he affects winning and that's a big part of this um he's I mean he's gonna give you about 15 a game uh in points but also like he averaged just under 11 assists a game last season uh, to lead the league at age, what, 37? Like, this is the point god, right? Um, now, when last we saw him, it wasn't that pretty. It wasn't pretty at all. It was ugly. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is. Yeah. Now, was it ugly enough to take him completely out of the top 25? going into this season evidently not but close huh i mean we literally have him at 25 i would expect chris paul going into this season to be in that top 25 mix but as far as our standards are concerned he's right there on the edge so he has to be careful but like there aren't that many players you'd rather have leading your team like in terms of well a leadership and b just like a floor general he is the point guard that you want your team to have. Yeah. And, you know, 2022 could be the season where he does kind of fall off the cliff. It certainly looked like it in that playoff series where he was coming off that injury. And it's just like Chris Paul to get injured in the playoffs every single year, basically. It's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how he does it. But the intangibles are there. The court vision the IQ, it's all there for him. He's still going to compete defensively. He's still got the handle. He's, his, his game has never been about, uh, you know, about blowing past guys or, or, you know, being the most athletic guy on the court. So his game has always aged well, and that's why he, he continues to be a top 25 player, even at his age. But it really is like, just like he's on the precipice of our top 25, he's on the precipice of potentially falling off and not being able to reach the same levels because of his age. So we'll see if both of those things come true. But right now he sneaks in just in our top 25. So that wraps up our uh, our rankings. Um, I'll, I'm going to read out all of like our top 25 from 1 to 25 real quick, um, just in case you you know need a refresher or you weren't writing it down or whatever. Uh, so number one, we have, we've got Giannis two, Steph, then LeBron at three, Jokic at four and Kevin Durant at five. Then we've got Joel Embiid at six, seven, Luca, eight, Kawhi, nine, Lillard, 10, Jimmy Butler with Tatum just behind at number 11, John Morant coming in at number 12 with Paul George at 13, Carl Anthony Towns at 14 and Kyrie potentially controversially, at 15. Devin Booker at 16. Trey Young at 17. DeMar DeRozan at 18. 19, we've got Bradley Beal. And 20, we've got Anthony Davis. Then coming in after that, 21, Rudy Gobert. Jalen Brown at 22. Clay Thompson at 23. James Harden at 24. And like we just said, 25th is Chris Paul. Now, we do have some honorable mentions as well that we wanted to say real quick. 
Um, these are some guys who were in consideration for getting in the top 25, but just missed out. So this is pro- this would probably be our next 10 in no particular order. Uh, Mike, you want to read those out? Sure. So in other words, if you're just like, who to watch out for that could take the place of any of these, uh, well, not any, no one's taking the spot from like Jokic, but you know, be on the lookout for Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram, Zion. I mean, there's another if he plays, right? Uh, DeJounte Murray we mentioned. Bam Adebayo, Anthony Edwards, Zach Levine. Any of these guys are are worth considering like right below the top 25 to, uh, in our mind. Yeah, and one last one, Donovan Mitchell as well. Um, brand new Cavalier. That Cavaliers team... I feel like I keep saying this, but they're another intriguing team. They're they're going to be so fun to watch with all of their their talent and um, this this roster that, that they've been putting together. Um, it's exciting to be in Cleveland, even when LeBron's not on your team, which is the first time you can say that in like over twenty years. Um, but anyway, so that wraps up our top twenty five NBA players right now before the season starts. I'm sure that you have opinions about this. People love. Uh, to debate these things back and forth. So as always, you can hit us up on social media at Mike and Dave Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, let us know, did we completely not mention anyone, even in the honorable mentions that you feel like should be in there? Don't don't come at us for putting a guy one spot above another guy. I'm not here for that. But we still want to hear your uh, your opinions, what, what's your top 25 looking like? Definitely hit us up and let us know. Uh, but without further ado, when we come back, we're going to get into the hot seat and the fun fact to close out the show. So it's time for the hot seat. Yeah, we de- we haven't been doing this every time lately because we've been putting out long episodes. And I mean, I'm sure this one is also going to be a long one. But hey, previously we had promised a hot seat and here it is. And guess what? The Falcons, first of all, the Falcons won a football game. Uh, (laughs) Crazy, I know. Uh, First of all, pause. I don't think I could have asked for better from the first two weeks of the Falcons. Like, oh yeah, we're going to make it close because we're going to make it look like we're competitive. We're like doing good things that might eventually lead to wins, but we're going to lose the game to improve our draft position. This is what I like to see at the beginning of the season before we end up doing that dumb shit where we just win five of the last seven for no earthly reason. Anyway, the Atlanta Falcons beat the Seattle Seahawks. Woohoo, we beat one of the worst teams in football or what What we expected to be, right? We um, beat Geno Smith. Ooh. <laughs> with Marcus Mariota. I mean, one one of those players is better than the other. So <laughs> also woo-hoo. And, and we won a nail biter 27 and 23 to, you know, to finish that scoreless fourth quarter, any freaking way the Falcons won a football game and more impressive is their social media after. And, and how often do we get to put the Falcons on the hot seat for doing something I was was about to say, like, the Falcons on the hot seat isn't surprising. The fact that they did it for doing something funny is surprising. Like, like, full disclosure, 
We talked about Ime Adoka, but you've probably heard about that from other sources. And, and that's kind of serious. So, so let's do something fun instead. And we'll never get to talk about the Falcons doing something funny again. Other than, like, being funny and how embarrassingly they lose. Yeah, where, where it's like, it's funny, like, I'm laughing, but it's not actually funny. Um, I'm just... It's like the, the cope laugh. Yeah, it's like the coping mechanism for the trauma. Um, anyways, so, the Falcon social media. If you didn't see, during the game... There was a rogue drone that interrupted play and caused a delay in the game while they tried to figure out what was going on. Because, you know, with drones, it's like, I don't know, technically that could be like a, a security threat and stuff, you know. So apparently it belonged to the University of Washington. And according to what I read, the drone just went rogue and started flying like and just started flying on its own over the stadium which is concern it's concerning <laughs> just on its own right maybe what the falcons did next was the coping mechanism for the, that news so th- they took a picture of the drone and put like put like a fake like box under it with the letter L on it uh, and posted it like they were delivering it to the Seahawks, which is hilarious. But also it's like when you're the Falcons, you have to take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way with these things. And they did. So fair, fair enough. Uh, Good job to the Falcon social media team. Like you're on the hot seat because like that could definitely come back to bite you. Uh, did you see, by the way, did you see that thing about Matt Ryan's like football that went into the, into the hall of fame? Like the serial number on it was like oh, the tw- yeah, two, eight, three, eight, three or two, eight. And he's just, yeah. he can't escape it. And then of course, like these reporters are like telling him about it. Like, just let the man live in peace. Like, come on. How many times do I have to hear about it? Anyways. So the Falcons were on the hot seat. Good job, social media team. And apparently technology can just decide to go rogue and just go wherever it wants on its own. So that's, that's great. Uh, do you have a, a fun transition? No. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like you do. Oh, well, first of all, always second of all, I just want to read a couple of comments from uh, that Instagram post, just cause this gives you the feel like it's not just us that thinks this is like fantastic. W media team. Uh, a don't start. I love Atlanta. I knew y'all was coming for smoke. Uh, we not that tough to be acting like this. Yes, we are. Shut up. We A-Town stomp here. We get one win and want to act like this. Hey, listen up. This is Atlanta, okay? We we do this. And the reason we do this is because we have so many shit moments, like 28-3, that we have to laugh about like delivering drone L's like like the new wave of Amazon, like I don't know, like it's funny, okay. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna hold that W on social media. And speaking of Ws, we're getting into Dave's fun fact, which is always a W. Hey, my fun fact this week is 
in my opinion, it's up there for me in terms of how fun it is. Um, uh oh. So no, no pressure because there have been a lot of bangers on this on this segment. <laughs> so, how much do you know, Mike, about the country of Papua New Guinea? Is that or is that not where guinea pigs come from? Unclear. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's unclear how much I know. Okay. So let's just say basically nothing. Did you know? uh, And this is not me talking to you, Mike. It's talking to the audience because you don't. I'm sure. (laughs) I don't know. Did you know that Papua New Guinea has the highest number of spoken languages in the world out of any country. There are 820 indigenous language or indigenous languages spoken in Papua New Guinea. Why? Like just pick a few. So um. from my understanding, it's like because you have a bunch of like different little sects of people and over the course of time like they develop their own dialects and things of their own languages. And so like they're, they have some similarities, but over the, you know, the course of hundreds and hundreds of years and thousands of years, they like ended up developing into their own different things. 820 languages. Ironically, English is the number one spoke. Why this is the number one language in Papua New Guinea because of all like the colonization that happened. Um, but Yes, 820 languages. And it's not that big of a country. It's not like that that many people live there. So that's my fun fact of the week. It's just mind-blowing, especially if you think like in Europe, right? You've got, you've got, obviously got English, you've got French, Spanish, Italian, German, like, I guess Greek. Like, obviously there are more, but like, that's kind of the most people can at least speak one of those. That's like seven languages. Papua New Guinea's got 820 of them just in that, their one country alone. So just kind of mind-boggling. I I thought that one was was pretty crazy to think about. So so I've been over here doing math for the past few seconds, right? Busting out the old abacus you know, or calculator, whatever. Uh, so Papua New Guinea is... 178,704 square miles. In in case you're wondering, I'm giving you a peek behind the curtain here. I had to Google that. So it's just a, that's not in my like va- uh, that's not in my vast lexicon of Papua New Guinea based language or based like knowledge. Yeah, naturally. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh when you divide that by the 820 languages that means there's a language for every 218 square miles um now point of reference the state of georgia (laughs) peek behind the curtain that's where we are is 59,425 square miles so it's like like if we proportion that the same way let's see That would be like if the state of Georgia had 272 languages. Huh. 
if I did that right. Normally, you're pretty good at math, so I'll give it to you. Um, oh, I yeah, I I just had to think about it for a second. I 100% did that right. So, take the state of Georgia, 272-ish languages. Like, proportionately, that's what we're dealing with with Papua New Guinea. Crazy. It's like every suburb of Atlanta has, like, 10 or whatever. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm saying, because, like... Papua New Guinea, what's that population looking like though? Because that's gonna tell a bigger story. I'm I'm guessing, like okay, eight point nine five million people, ish. I mean that's in 2020. I mean, eight nine. So eight hundred and twenty languages. That's a language for every like 1100 people basically dang so like a high school <laughs> a big high yeah, school but but, but still yeah school. that's crazy so there you go okay well that was more math than i anticipated doing but that was interesting uh the, I think the Georgia one is, is what uh -huh. trips me up. That's a lot of, a lot of speak. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And hey, that's what you get with Dave's fun fact to close out the episode every every time. You never know what you're gonna get. We're eclectic over here, okay? And by we, I mean me because it's just me doing the segment. But, anyways, this has been a long episode already. We thank you if you are still listening. We appreciate you listening all the way through. Um. I already shouted out our social media before, uh, but you can definitely get in contact with us at Mike and Dave Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, let us know what you think about my fun fact or our uh, probably more, more likely our top 25 NBA players and where you would rank them. Uh, we appreciate all the support as always. For once, I don't have a lot to add to that. Like, I'll be honest. I'm trying to go to bed, man. We've been we've been talking for a while, and you know, I'm glad that we have a. I don't want to say cemented, but like we have in writing or on text or whatever, our top twenty five for now. And so now, like when we when we move forward and we say, oh, this player, we can actually stand by. Oh yeah, this this player is a top twenty five. This player isn't. I mean, like you said. Feel free if any of y'all want to like debate us on that. First of all, we love talking about it. Second of all, I think we're pretty confident. The epistemic truth is that we're always right when it comes to these things. I'm not I'm not talking about predictions. That that's different. But this is this is it, you know. But you you mentioned our social media. Uh if you've enjoyed this episode, not much of an if. We know you did. But leave us that five star review on whatever platform you're using to listen to us lucky platform that must be and spread the love uh spread spread the word the good word of the mike and dave podcast to your friends who can listen on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts but until next time this has been mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast <laughs>